Welcome to the Faith to You podcast. I'm Pastor Caleb. We're continuing our series in Romans chapter 8 where we seek to answer the question, I'm saved, now what? When I was a child, I, I slept in a room that had a large tree outside. The tree outside my room was, was struck by lightning, and um, it, con- it continued to sort of stay alive, um, but the inside of the tree died. I can remember ants sort of moved into this tree, and they, they were sort of setting up their home in here, and this, this tree it was decaying. It was sort of falling apart. Um, And over time, branches started falling off this tree. Now, this tree was huge. It was a giant cottonwood tree that sort of towered over my bedroom. Um, And and those branches would fall, and sometimes they'd fall on the roof, and they'd be be big branches. And I can remember as a a child laying in my room, and I was was a sort of a fearful kid, and I could just hear this tree in the high winds of the Antelope Valley outside my room at night just groaning under the wind. And I can remember staying up thinking, is it going to fall on my room? Is it going to crush me? I can remember these groans of this tree, and I was constantly concerned that it was going to fall apart, that it was going to fall over. Eventually, it did fall over. It didn't crush my bedroom. It wasn't that big of a tree. Uh, But all of creation is falling apart. All of creation is groaning, And this is what we see in Romans chapter 8, 22. He says this, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the firstfruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. So Paul tells us in Romans 8 that that groaning of creation, things falling apart, things not being as they should, those are birth pains. I want you to think about that for a minute. When you see wars and you see famines and you see earthquakes and you see natural disasters and you see things falling apart and people dying and sickness and cancer and all these horrible, horrible, horrible things, they're painful. They hurt our hearts. They're birth pains. And you see, the, bir- the beauty of birth pains is, is they're terrible while they last, but they're pointing forward to something beautiful. They're pointing forward to new life. They're pointing forward to birth. The birth pains of creation have a purpose. I shared with you last time that the point of futility is hope. Creation is straining forward to its intended purpose. It wants to fulfill its natural design. So all of the chaos in the world, natural disasters, the results of man's sin, all of these things are simple birth pains reminding us that this life is straining forward to the next. The the groans are going to continue rising in volume until the final day. That's how birth pains work. You know that the birth is coming near as as birth pains occur one after another until it seems like they're coming one on top of the other. They'll crescendo at Christ's return. And I want you to think about this. I use that word crescendo because it describes what happens in music as it builds in volume. And when you hear music building in volume, you know it's going somewhere. When, when you look at all of the chaos in the world that surrounds you, understand this is going somewhere. And it says not only creation groans, but we groan as well. I want you to understand that the purpose of all created 
order is singular. And what I mean by that is this, oftentimes we will sort of separate creation and matter from who we are in Christ. We'll think of it almost as two separate truths or separate realities. And the problem with separating those two is that we can begin to think that the truth that applies to the created world to matter and the truth that applies to me as a spiritual being don't overlap, aren't the same truth. A lot of people, they've, they've sort of split their thoughts into thinking about the created world and their spiritual life in two separate realms. And what we see here is that Paul is connecting the two. We're groaning together. We all long for the same thing. We all have the same created purpose. And what that means is that your labor on earth here in this creation as an embodied creature has the same purpose as your spiritual vitality, as your spiritual walk. It's all singular. The same truth applies to everything. And so as creation is groaning for it to be perfected, so we are groaning for that same perfection. This is how he describes it. He says, we're groaning for adoption. We're groaning for adoption. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. What, what does he mean that we're, we're longing for adoption? I thought that we were already adopted. It doesn't tell us in Scripture that God has already adopted us. Well, let me explain this adoption process. Early in Romans 8, it said this. In 8.15, it says, You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. I want you to understand this. We are adopted. God is our Father, and the Spirit is teaching us that truth. But here's the problem. We're not home yet. You see, sometimes when a child is adopted, especially in an international adoption, papers will be signed. That child will be adopted by his new parents before he actually gets to go home with them before he actually gets to live in their home with those parents. It's the same for us. We've been adopted. The paperwork has been signed. The seal of our adoption is the Holy Spirit whom he has given us, but we're not home yet. It says it this way in 1 John 3, 1 and 2. See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children, and we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. We are God's children. That's what it says. We shall be God's children, and we are. So it's a future reality. It's a present reality as well. But we don't know what we're going to be. It says, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. We don't quite comprehend who we are as the children of God. One day we're going to get it. What day? When we finally see him when he returns, when he takes us to live with him forever, then we're going to be like him. Then we're going to receive that fullness. And until that, our spirit, our bodies, and all of creation are longing for that same singular moment. Everything in your life is pointing forward to that. 
your vocation, whatever you're doing, whatever work you're doing is pointing forward to that purpose. Your relationships with your family are pointing forward to that purpose. And so the question we ask is, is what's redemptive about this? How will what I'm doing today matter in eternity? Now, now think about this. Since all of creation was subjected to futility, we're constantly sort of working against that futility, but we're preparing for that eternity. I want you to think about this for a second. The the work that you do in this fallen creation is going to be perfected in the next creation. What, what do I mean by that? I think that sometimes we create this false division of sacred and secular. I know I did that, and God had to show me through my, my work in a high school classroom that all work is sacred work. And one of the reasons it's all sacred work is all that work is still going to be need, need to be done, but in its perfect form in the new creation. Remember, work preceded the fall. God set Adam in the garden. He said, work this garden. I want you to have dominion over this earth. You see, our careers, our jobs, our opportunities for us to exercise that mandate from God to have dominion, to take care of what he has created. In its perfect form, that's going to continue. It's not perfect yet, but we're preparing with the training we do now. We'll need, we'll need teachers in eternity. We'll need people who are inventors in eternity. We'll need all, all sorts of different vocations in eternity. And the work that we do now is groaning, and it's preparing us for that. I think this reality is really brought to bear in 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 4, where it says this, We know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling, since when we have taken it off, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. It's so important to understand this. At the end of this life, we don't sort of take off this flesh and discard it. Rather, everything that we are is swallowed up into what it's meant to be. You see, when God made creation, he declared it good. That good creation was subjected to futility so that we won't find our hope in what's passing away. But at the same time, that goodness in creation can still be experienced here and there. And it helps us to long for the perfect. It helps us to long for that time when the perfect comes and we'll dwell with him forever, where we'll see him and be like him. This life groans not for this life to end. It, it, the groaning of my body, the groaning of creation is not, this is terrible, this is horrible, I can't wait till it's over. The groaning of creation is this recognition in, in pain, in chaos, that there's also glimmers of hope. There's also glimmers of joy, excitement, pleasure, passion, and those point me forward to the perfection of creation that I can taste in small ways now. I don't want to be unclothed. I want to be further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up with life. In other words, I don't want less of this life. I want more of it in its perfect form. That's our hope. In our next episode, I'll talk to you about what that means. What is biblical hope? Remember, you weren't created for this world, 
but there's things left in this world to remind you to hope in the next. Thank you for listening today.